Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Live with CP Podcast, Season 3, Episode 7 on this Friday, February 18th, here in Southern Ontario. And uh, I survived the uh, w- the snowstorm last night and coming home today as well. So anyways, guys, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining me today on this Live with CDP podcast. I have a busy day ahead of me. I've got a great guest coming on in Barry Davis. And then I'm going to be heading to the Sleeman Center tonight to do camera work for the Gulf Storm Saginaw Spirit uh, game at the Sleeman Center tonight for Rogers TV. So if you guys can just give me one moment, I'm going to bring on my guest today, uh, Barry Davis. He's a former radio personality on the fan 590 in Toronto and he was also a reporter uh, covered the Maple Leafs and a field reporter for Sportsnet uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays and he was on um, he was their uh, field reporter uh, for when they went to the ALCS uh, two years in a row in 15 and 16 as well and he is now currently a sales consultant uh, for Georgetown Honda as well and I'm looking for a newer uh, vehicle or a new vehicle this soon uh, this year as well. My uh, car is now almost 11 years old. So um, I'll get into that another time. But anyways, guys, uh, thanks for everybody for joining me today. And give me one second and I'm going to bring on uh, Barry Davis. Hey, Barry, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm actually uh, quite shocked that you mentioned my radio career off the top because I figured most people forgot because that was so long ago. That was back in the early 90s. So uh, you're showing your age, Chris. Yes, I am almost 50, though. (laughs) Well, I'm above that, so I've got a few on you. uh, You don't look it, so it's just amazing how fast time goes over the years, eh? Uh, Yeah, it really does. I mean, even when I look back to those two years in 2015 and 2016, uh, some ways it just seems like it was yesterday. And, uh, you know, now we're looking at five, six years away uh, since those days of the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, and I'm a Tigers fan. and, and, and it's I been can now, see Yes, I'm a huge Tigers fan, lifelong Tigers fan. And it's been now a decade since uh, we were in the World Series uh, in 2012, which is hard to believe as well. I remember that very well. I was at that World Series, and I remember that Detroit Tigers team. And, you know, the hopes were that, you know, they were going to do a nice rebuild and get right back into it. And uh, unfortunately... <laughs> Unfortunately, we may not see any baseball for quite a while. And that's that's the real sad part is that this is the time of year where we start looking towards spring training. And uh, by now, the teams would be all starting to gather. And, you know, we were starting to look at how teams were looking on paper going into spring training. And uh, at this point, I mean, I've spoken to a few ex-players and uh, neither one of them feel very confident that we're going to see baseball before the summer. Uh, my gut feeling, Barry, is July. It'll be in July, and it'll be an 81-82 game schedule at the best. Which which really sucks. I mean, for baseball fans, for what they've had to go through with the rest of society, uh, you know, dealing with COVID, not to mention when you're a fan, you really need sports, many of us, a, a, as a kind of escape. And unfortunately, now we've had 
you know, a few partial seasons. And if you're a Blue Jays fan, they haven't had a full season where they've actually played their home games at home. So um, this would have been a great year to start fresh, 162, 81 home games, all the, you know, the young players they have ready to, you know, hit that next level. It sucks. And, and I really fear for the game itself because I'm afraid that if this goes on as long as we think it might, they are going to lose a lot of fans. I remember living through the strike of 94 and many oh, yeah. people haven't come back from that yet. And I don't know if it's going to, if, if it's going to be able to be saved for many people, if it goes long. Yeah. It took me about two years to forgive baseball after 94, because um, it just, it just, it, it was just awful what they did with the game. It basically, in my opinion, killed the Montreal Expos franchise mm -hmm. because they had sure. a very good chance in 94 of winning the world series. Maybe they wouldn't have, but I think it would have been a New York Yankee expo world series that year as well. I think it would have been for sure. Instead, we're looking at the Washington nationals as the former expos to, to do it all. But yeah, uh, the fans didn't go away in Montreal. There was bad ownership and there was the situation with the strike and uh, the expos never recovered after that. And that's, that's very unfortunate. So Listen, at the end of the day, it's all about money. People always ask, what are they fighting over this time? They're fighting over the same things. And everything I'm reading and seeing, it's just exactly how it's been scripted every other time. They think they're close. They say they're going to get into a meeting. Oh, the meetings break off. And then it, it's always going to be that 11th hour. Both sides are going to give up something. But the problem is both sides are digging in right now. And they're saying, you know, this is how it's going to be. And there doesn't seem to be any middle ground. But again, that's the way it always is. That's what collective bargaining is all about. Uh, unfortunately, in sports, they don't really collectively bargain. They collectively fight. And this is where we're at right now. Well, and that leads to my first question. And you've already answered the first part of it. What are your thoughts on the 2022 Toronto Blue Jays if there is a season? And are they a serious World Series contender in your, in your opinion? Well, based on the young players and where they are in their progression, then I think they definitely are. I mean, like any team, you're always going to need more pitching. And I think the Blue Jays could use some more starting pitching. Yeah, they had a, a great run last year and they've lost a couple of their top players. The question is, are they replaceable? And I think in the rotation, you do have some young arms that are ready to make the next jump up. And I think that the end of the day guys like Robbie Ray and Simeon they were just stop gaps they were fillers until the kids were ready and as much as it hurts for fans to see those two players go I think they both had career years last year and I don't see them being able to repeat what they did last season maybe they will for one more year but I don't think it's going to be worth the long-term contracts that they signed both of them so at the end of the day I think the Blue Jays made smart moves by not signing either one of them. I think they definitely need to look at bringing in somebody who's in the prime of the career, spend some money. And listen, I know a lot of fans have said this organization's cheap, but over the last 10 years, I think they've shown that they are willing to spend the money when it's needed. Uh, let's not forget the, the Troy Tulowitzki contract or the Russell Martin contract. I mean, they doled out large amounts of money. And the same thing, you know, what, the more recent, uh, free agent signings like Springer. So they are willing to spend the money and the core is there. It's just a matter of building around that core. And until this thing gets settled, there's not going to be a lot of movement and there'd be no movement. So it's going to be very, very difficult to 
even predict how good this Jays team is going to be because we have no idea how it's going to look if and when the season starts. Definitely. And uh, the the same thing with the Tigers. Ever since Mike Illich passed away, everyone's been on Chris Illich saying he's cheap. He doesn't care about winning. But now that the team's more competitive, they build up the farm system. He uh, went out and uh, got um, Erod from the Red Sox as a starting pitcher. He got uh, Javier Baziez, uh, they from the Mets. So I, I really think you need to be smart about it and not just spend the money for the sake of it either. 100%. And we've seen that time and time again in sports where, you know, they spend huge amounts of money. And it's and it's not just the money, right, Chris? It, it's the term of the contract. And when you're giving somebody who's in their late 20s, early 30s, and you're giving them a seven-year contract, you know going in that by the time you get to years five, six, and seven, you're not getting the same player you had when you signed the deal. And the Jays also have a number of young players who they want to avoid going to arbitration with. I think that they need to extend Vladdy. They need to extend Bo. Uh, there are a number of players there that they need to not get into any kind of pissing match with when it comes to arbitration. We've seen the bad blood it can cause. We know that these are their franchise players, so they need to take care of their franchise players and build around them instead of trying to bring in, again, like a Marcus Semyon or, or a Robbie Ray, who were great during their time. But these these are not the guys that you're building your team around. These are the guys that you're bringing in to support the young players that are there. And now that those young players are ready to make the next move, now you've got to look at what you can do to support them. Yeah, and and with this lockout right now, I feel sorry for the Toronto fans too because uh, 2020 they didn't play any of their games in Toronto, and then mm -hmm. last year they only played what a, maybe a month and a half at the Rogers Center, and now they they're looking at another season where possibly they not might not see the team for a long time this year. It, it's really sad, Chris, and you know I know me personally um, through COVID and through lockdowns and through sports not being on i'm finding other ways to entertain myself you know i i i went and invested in one of those uh, oculus vr headsets so i when i bored i'll just sit there and go into this virtual reality world and i'm not missing sports and that sucks because i've been such a huge sports fan my whole life and if somebody like me who made a living watching sports who lived died breathed sports is now becoming eh about it. What's that going to say about all the fringe friend, fans out there? So that's that's a, that's a big, big battle uh, Major League Baseball is going to have to overcome. And again, I bring up that comparison again to 94 and when it came back and the, the half-empty stadiums and how long it took to rebuild that fan base. And right now, if you look at the Toronto Blue Jays fan base over the last five years, it's gotten much younger. It's become very diverse not only in culture, but uh, men versus women. It's unbelievable how diverse the Toronto Blue Jays fan base is and how much younger it is. Well, younger people, and I have a younger person, I have a 21-year-old son, and they want stuff now, right? It's not a matter of, oh, I'll just be patient, I'll wait for baseball to come back, and I'll just, no, they'll find something else. And that's my biggest concern with, with what we're seeing right now. 
And right now, they, you got the NHL going on probably to June. Uh, I know the Ontario Hockey League now is going to be going until June 20th with the Memorial Cup. Then the CFL starts in May. So there's other sports out there right now where I can follow and pay attention to. And, and it won't, it wouldn't, I wouldn't miss Major League Baseball as much now. Yeah, you know, I think I may have told you this before we started, you know, a few weeks ago when we were talking about this. And, and I said, listen, I, I can't talk to you really about what's happening in the NHL yeah, or, yeah. or any other sports because I found other yep. things to do. I'm watching yep. less and less sports now than I ever have. And, you know, this is this is the worst possible time these two sides could do this. It It irritates me to no end. And it's not a matter of saying it's the player's fault, it's the owner's fault. It's both sides' fault, yep. right? Somebody said, oh, you know, the owners didn't have to lock the players out. We could be in the season now. Well, if the players weren't locked out, they would have gone on strike, right? This was not going to start without a new collective bargaining agreement because the old one has expired. So it's not as simple as putting the blame on one side. Both sides are to blame. It's all about the pie, and it's about who gets the bigger share of pie. If they could just split it down the freaking middle – both yep. sides, you're both rich. You're both going to have more than enough money. Let it be. But as I've learned over the years, and I've covered so many labor disputes, they're all exactly the same. They may appear different on the surface, but when you dig deep, whether it's the NHL, NBA, you know, NFL has been pretty good. You know, you don't see a lot of work stoppages there. Uh, but Major League Baseball seems to be the worst of the big four oh, yeah. when it comes to labor stoppages. And again, they're also the league that doesn't have a hard salary cap. So the owners that are crying poor are making themselves poor. And the players are, you know, give me the money. I'll take as much money as I can possibly get. And this is where we are. <laughs> and, and it's the fans that are the biggest losers out of all of this. Of course. So... Definitely. Okay. I just wanted to talk to you about that anyways, because like I said, um, I was looking forward to a 2022 season, but right now, I, my opinion, like I said, is going to be at least July, if not longer than that. I'm afraid you're right, Chris. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. I you, but I can't. I hope I'm wrong. So, um, okay. I'm going to get into some questions I wanted to ask you, Barry, as well, if that's okay. Um, I suppose so, since I'm here. No problem. Uh, can you just tell my audience just a little bit about yourself? And when did you decide you wanted to pursue a career um, earlier in life in broadcasting and radio and stuff? All right. You got 40 minutes? Yeah. All right. I'm good. Okay. I'm good. So I grew up a huge sports fan and a huge music fan. And I came from a family where both my parents were in show business back in the, the 50s and 60s. My father was... Uh, you know, a lounge singer and actor and performer, and my mother was a dancer, so it was kind of in my blood. And when I was maybe nine or ten years old, I'd go around into the playground with a little tape recorder and a little microphone, and I'd literally interview the kids in the playground and just ask stupid questions. So I always knew that that was something inside of me that wanted to entertain. Uh, as I became a teenager, I got deeply involved in music, and I was in a number of bands, and thought that was going to be my career, but nothing really panned out. And you know, it's a lot easier said than done to make it in the world of music. And so I was doing that on the side. I was working in a factory full time and that was going to be my life. And uh, when I was around 22 years old, 21, 22, uh, I got laid off from the factory job and I had no idea what I was going to do. 
my wife, who was just my girlfriend at the time, suggested going back to school. And uh, so I started looking through a, a brochure for Humber College, who I'm representing right here now. Uh, and I saw a radio broadcasting course and I thought, you know what, I want to do this. I really want to do this. Uh, this is something I always dreamed of, you know, and I always knew how do you become someone who's on the radio? How do you become a music DJ or a broadcaster? I had no idea. And I always used to look at the booth where Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth were when I'd be in the stands. And I looked at my girlfriend at the time and said, one day I'm going to be in that booth. I want to be in that booth one day. So I began my, my uh, dream by taking this two-year course at Humber College. And after the first year, near the end of the first year, there was a bulletin board. And on that bulletin board was a sign. And it said, who's looking for a, a job in radio this summer? And then it had the little tabs with the phone numbers. Uh, anyone who's you know a little bit older remembers back in the day before we had computers and cell phones and stuff. So instead of grabbing a tab with the phone number, I took the whole sheet off the bulletin board. I went to our, uh, you know, the head of our radio department and I said, how do I get this job? And he said, well, here's a number to call. So I called that number and it was the fan, but they weren't the fan yet. They were still an oldies radio station who carried the Blue Jay games. And I went in and they said, we're looking for someone to sit behind the control board between midnight and six, spin the records and play tapes with the DJ's voice because he's not live overnight. It pays eight bucks an hour. Do you want it? I said, I'm in. When can you start? I said, right away. So that was how I got my foot in the door. Uh, two weeks later, they said they were looking for another person. So I called a buddy of mine who I went to school with at Humber, a guy named George Strombolopoulos, who ended up carving himself a nice little career. So I brought George in and the two of us, when we were going to college, the, the course started, there was probably about 80 students. By year two, we were down to 60. Only about 40 finished and graduated. And of the 40, there was maybe about 10 that ended up having careers in the industry. And it wasn't the 10 most talented people. I never thought of myself as one of the most talented people, one of the best voices or anything. But I had a determination in me. I had this you know, will to want to do it. And George was the same. We looked at each other and said, we're not here to screw around. We're here to get careers. So it worked out. We both started at the bottom and took advantage of my opportunities. And anytime they asked me to do something, whether it's stand on a street corner and interview people on the street about something that's going on or go cover a high school football game, I'd do it. And I stayed there and I eventually worked my way up to doing some on-air stuff. And Built myself, uh, you know, a nice little career there. And I was part of the Toronto Raptors pre and post game show, which was nice. But I kind of capped out there and it kind of came. My dream was always TV and I still wasn't sure how I was going to get into TV. Well, after about 10 years at the fan, a rival radio station started up called The Team, uh, which is now on the same dial that TSN Radio is. Uh, their idea was to do a national sports radio station. And... They said they were going to give it a five-year, you know, run, and they knew there was going to be bumps along the way, and they offered me uh, uh, an offer that literally I could not refuse. I went back to the fan. I said, listen, I've got an offer from this new station. Can you match it? They said, no, we can't even come close. So I said, okay. And I knew this seems too good to be true. And, and it was because 17 months later, the station went under. And uh, I found myself out of work and I had no idea what I was going to do. And at the time, somebody that I know that was working at the radio station, he had been let go a few months earlier and started working as a producer at Sportsnet and said, hey, they're looking for a, a Maple Leafs beat reporter at Sportsnet. Put in a demo tape. 
And thankfully, during my time at the team, they were affiliated with City TV. So we used to do some sports hits on CP24, who was owned by Rogers at the time. So basically, I'd just be standing in front of a camera with no teleprompter, no script, and I'd just be talking sports for two minutes once an hour. So that gave me my demo tape. So I gave my demo tape to my friend. He handed it over to the folks at Sportsnet. And they had pretty much already decided someone they were going to hire for the job. And my buddy said, please, just have a look at this guy's tape. And about a week later, I got a call from them, and they asked me to come in for an interview. And I went in for an interview, and then they called me two weeks later for a second interview. And, and I was fortunate enough to get the job. So I uh, ended up doing the Leafs beat. And that was, man, I tell you what, that was a challenging beat because I'd been doing a lot of Raptors up until then. So I was kind of out of the Maple Leafs loop. And I was brought in to not only do the pre and post game shows, but to break stories. And I had no contacts. I had to rebuild all my contacts and work my way through. That year, I did all 82 games. I think this was the 2001-2002 season. All 81 games, home and away, plus all the playoffs. And this was a team that was a very dysfunctional group. And it had Ed Belfour and Ty Domi and Darcy Tucker and Travis Green and Shane Corson. It was, it was a lot of fun, but it was very stressful. And at the end of the year, guess what? there was the possibility of a lockout or strike the following year. We knew there wasn't going to be a season. So at that time, the person who was doing our Raptors broadcasts on Sportsnet had left to go somewhere else. They asked me if I wanted to, to do the Raptors. So I ended up doing that. And at the same time, in the offseason, I was doing Blue Jays again because I had done Blue Jays at the fan from 93 <clears throat> right up to the time I left. So I was very familiar. And baseball was always my first, my first love when it came to sports. So uh, I did the Raptors for a couple of years and they just, you know, they weren't drawing. They weren't a great team. Uh, the first year I covered them, well, that was back in the fan, but I remember covering them during the year they went 16 and 66 and it was just awful. And unlike the Leafs, the, the poorer the Raptors did, the less they actually covered them. They gave them very little attention. So I became pretty much a person without a gig there. And it was right at that time that Rogers really started to invest more in the Blue Jays and they wanted to really ramp up their coverage. So because of my experience doing Blue Jays in the past, they brought me on to do the pre and post game shows. And uh, so that got me back on with the team. And from probably 2008, right up to 2016, I was at the majority of the games home and way. And uh, so there you go. I hope I uh, answered your question. Yes. And I've learned about my listening skills because when I first started this, I would ask a guest question and then I would ask it again and they were already had answered it. So Jerry Howard gave me this advice. Great listening skills because sometimes you can ask your guests one question and they can give you the answers to five, six, seven or eight uh, questions that you want to ask later. So that's the one thing I've learned from him and Eric Smith too. Two incredible human yes. beings. I have learned so much from Jerry over the years. Jerry's given me so many opportunities and so much incredible advice, including exactly what you said there. Uh, I know a lot of young broadcasters that the first thing they do when they prepare for an interview is they have their questions written out. Here's question one, two, three, four, five. And a lot of times you ask question one and your guest also answers question five. And if you're not listening, it sounds very robotic. And if they answer question five and then they're leading into something else, you can't go back to question two if it has nothing to do with it. Yeah. You've always got to be cognizant of what's being said. 
because the best interviews aren't interviews at all, Chris. They're conversations. Yep. And that's what we're doing right now. We're just having a chat. Yep. I think it's much more interesting for people that are watching and listening when it's something as simple as just, you know, two of us having a, a conversation as opposed to a scripted interview. Yeah. I still write stuff down on a piece of paper. Just Nothing so wrong with that. Freak- but go but, with uh, more more topics than specific yes. questions. I want to make sure I address this. Like yeah. if I was to sit down with the Blue Jay back in the day and we had a deep conversation, I'd have a list of things I want to make sure that I address. Yeah. But they weren't questions. They were just topics. topics so we yeah. go there and, and always, if, if they're going into this topic, okay, all right, I did want to address this, so let's go into that. Definitely. And I've gotten that from Tom McCarthy of the Phillies, too, and stuff. And uh, every guest I have on here, I learned something new from as well. You can never stop learning. That's the wonderful thing. And, you know, the longer I did this job, the more I learned that you can keep learning from people. And it never ends. And even to this day, you know, you, you learn new things. I've learned about this uh, system that you're using to do the show on. I never knew existed, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, uh, I found this out a year ago from my friend in Philadelphia, and it's great. I can bring on 10 people. Um, you can come on audio if you prefer audio, or I can pre-record a podcast as well. Uh, there's a number of things I can do with this, and I'm still learning technology all the time. As am I. <laughs> so uh, I was going to say, did you have any men- – I know you mentioned um, Eric Smith and Jerry Howarth, but did you have any other mentors in school – or when you're at the fan and at the fan when you're starting out, uh, mentor that helped you out a little bit as well. I am really glad you asked that, Chris, because I'd be remiss if I did not mention how important and, and really vital Tom Cheek was to my career. And I'll tell you an example. When I was at the fan and I started, you know, helping out with the post game show, and I was probably maybe two or three years into my career. So let's say ninety five after the strike. And my job after each game is I'd go down into the clubhouses. I'd stick my microphones into what they call the scrums where all the reporters are asking questions. And I'd run the tape up and I'd give them this cassette. They'd put it in. And Scott Ferguson was the guy who was hosting Jay's talk at the time. And he would basically say, you know, let's go down to the clubhouse now. And Barry Davis was talking to so-and-so and here's what they had to say. And they'd play little bits. And eventually I started doing one-on-one interviews with some players and they'd bring them up. Well, one day Tom Cheek said to me, he goes, how come you're not sitting with Scott Ferguson setting up your own interviews? I said, well, they haven't allowed me to to sit in that seat and do that. And he goes, well, you know what? I'm going to go talk to somebody. He went and talked to the program director. And the next day Tom says, you know what? Starting today, you're coming and you're going to sit next to Scott in the booth and you're going to set up your own interviews. Tom was absolutely huge for me he was one of my biggest supporters and uh god bless the guy i mean i remember when he started to to become ill and he had his brain cancer that he was dealing with and one of the last uh tv interviews he did was with me and it was so great to talk to him but it was so painful at the same time because he was at the stage uh in his battle where he would start talking and he would almost forget what he was saying and he'd have to stop and a few times he would stop in the middle of our conversation and say, listen, I, you need to ask me that question again because I don't know what I'm saying and I really apologize. I'm like, you don't have to apologize, Tom. You don't have to apologize. So, you know, that was really tough. And then when he kind of made a, almost a comeback, he was feel, starting to feel better and he got back in the booth for a few games and we thought, oh, but we knew that, you know, this is not going to have a happy ending and sure enough it didn't. But 
I tell you what, Tom Cheek left a huge legacy, and I wouldn't be the broadcaster I was if it weren't for him. And I was going to say, growing up in Oakville in the late 70s, I used to listen to Tom and Early Win. Early and Win, then, yeah. And then it became Jerry Howard's. And yeah. I used to tape record the games, too, because I, I it was a big deal back then. The games weren't on TV as much. And I really loved listening to Tom and Early Win. And then eventually Jerry took over. And uh, I've always been kind of a radio guy. And uh, I... He's one guy I wish I, I was I was in doing this podcasting years ago because I think Tom would would be most likely to to come onto a podcast and and help somebody that's trying to to get in the industry. That's from what I've heard about him. Oh, absolutely, and I, it's good to know I'm not the only one who tape recorded baseball games. Yeah, on a cassette. <laughs> yeah, cassette. Yep, back in the late seventies. I even 70s. used to take pictures of my TV. With an old camera, you know, it was the old snap camera. Yeah, yeah. And uh, somewhere I've got pictures of Blue Jay games. I know I've already found ones I've had of Maple Leaf games where, you know, I've taken a picture of the TV and you got this big dot in the middle because back then you, the resolution, you could not take a proper picture of your TV screen. Definitely. And I was lucky as a kid, too, because being a Tigers fan, I got to listen to Ernie Harwell and Paul Carey on WJR in Detroit. And then I had... Tom and Jerry and early win with the Blue Jays. So as a kid growing up in the seventies and early eighties, I had the best of both worlds with those broadcasts. That was one of the nice things about living in Southern Ontario is you, you had access to the Detroit stations and depending on where you were, you could possibly pick up the Cleveland stations. There yes. are times I remember being in my bedroom at night with my little AM radio, trying to find baseball games. And quite often I'd hear a, a Tigers game or a Cleveland Indians game. And every once in a while, when, when the fan radio started in New York, New York I was able to get, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a real shame that radio has gone the route it has gone. And it's funny that from the research I've done, people are just as interested in audio podcasts as they are video podcasts, but nobody listens to the radio anymore. And it's a shame. And it really was a shame when Sportsnet decided to simulcast the TV broadcasts, and, and we know how badly that worked. And I was so glad when, you know, when Ben got back into the broadcast yes. booth, because as you know, Kristen, you're, you're a big radio baseball fan. There's no sport that translates to radio as well as baseball does. It's such a theater of the mind. When I was working at the fan, we used to have a number of people they called in regularly that were hearing are visually impaired or completely blind. And they loved how Tom and Jerry could paint that picture in their head and give them an idea. They could actually see in their minds what was happening on the field, even though they could not physically see the game. And that says a lot. And, you know, listen, there's some great play-by-play -play people for radio in, in hockey and in baseball or in uh, basketball as well, but it's just not the same. Those sports move at such a speed you really need to see it to capture what's happening. Baseball, there's so much time. And Tom and Jerry were just the best. They so different in their styles, but they were both so good at painting that picture. And I was reading Jerry's book. Originally, he applied for the Jays job in 76, and uh, yeah. he, got, he, he didn't get it. And then he, um, obviously, he got it in 80, 81, but he almost ended up with the Oakland A's. That's right. And the, and the Oakland A's reneged, the owner reneged on him. And I guess Jerry in the book was saying how devastated he was, and and uh, but he never gave up. And then eventually he got the Jays job, uh, I think, towards the end of 81, beginning of 82. Yeah. 
if you're a fan of, of Jerry Howarth or a fan of broadcasting, I highly recommend his book. It, it is a tremendous book. Great stories from Jerry. Yes, and I was shocked when he uh, said he was going to come on my podcast this year, and I'm like, wow, this guy's a legend, and I'm kind of a, a 49, 50-year-old guy trying to, to break into the radio industry at my age, and he was so supportive and gave me a lot of great advice, and he's always encouraging me uh, with messages on Facebook as well. One of the first games I ever went down uh, when I was at the fan, and I was on the field for batting practice, and it was one of my first assignments. And I was supposed to do an interview with somebody from the other team. And the Jays were playing the Milwaukee Brewers at the time. I remember it well. And I said to Jerry, <clears throat> I'm not sure who would interview. And he said, well, come over here, Barry. I'll introduce you to a couple of people. <clears throat> so right away, he brings me to one of their relievers, a guy named Graham Lloyd. Big, tall, Australian guy. And he goes, well, Barry, this is Graham. Graham, this is Barry. Would you like to talk to him? And he set up that interview. And then as soon as that one is done, let's see if I can get you to guess who it was. A Milwaukee Brewers broadcaster who was also very famous for his roles in movies. Bob Euchre, Mr. Bob Baseball. Uecker. And I still have that interview on wow. a reel-to-reel -reel tape that I did with Bob Euchre in 1993. And that was all courtesy of Jerry Howarth. He set wow. those up for me. And wow. between those two guys, man, I tell you what. It, it's a rarity, unfortunately, in this industry where a lot of people will get to the point where they're so big that they start to just believe, you know, their poop don't stink anymore. And, you know, it's all about them. Tom and Jerry never developed those types of egos. They were always there for me. They were always so helpful. Uh, Brian Williams is another one that I had a chance to meet over my career in radio and TV and always just always had time to sit and say, hey, you know, here's what you can do to make yourself better. And I, I try anytime I, I get asked by a, a young broadcaster, I always want to take the time because I want to give back what I was given. I'm nowhere near uh, the level of Tom and Jerry, but I do have many years of experience in the industry. So if somebody is breaking in, I, I want to do whatever I can to give back too. And and I've been lucky too. Um, a lot of my podcasts, these guys have come on. They've been really great with me, and some have even given me more time than they wanted to. And and uh, I've been very lucky. And the thing is, I'm hoping with doing this podcast and volunteering with Rogers TV as a camera operator, I'm seeing both sides of it. Hopefully, one day I will get an opportunity in radio. And this is something I'm I have a passion for, and I just hopefully I get that opportunity at one point. Well, I'll tell you, Chris, the fact that you know other areas of the industry really help as well being a camera operator um, I made sure that I learned how to edit very early on uh, both edit audio and video and all these years later when I started up my own podcast who knew that was going to be such a vital thing to know how to edit so now I do that I use that skill uh, with my music as well editing audio and video and being able to record and stuff like that these are things that you know, had I not learned those skills early on, uh, I wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things I do today because it's hard when you're at my age and you try to learn new things, you know. That's true. And uh, I was scared when I went with Rogers TV doing the OHL games for the Gulf Storm. I had never done camera work before. And oh, no. the, the producer had faith in me and he threw me in and and uh, I stuck it out mm -hmm. and I hung in there. And now I really I love it. And I love going to the games all the time. It's not work. It's something I have a passion for. And, and I'm, I'm hoping to continue to learn through Rogers TV as well as uh, my podcast from my guests.
That's awesome. No, I, I'm really happy to hear that. It's it's good to see somebody with passion, you know, and be able to follow your passion. And, you know, I, I've been out of the industry now for, for five or six years, and I spent a few years really starting to question, you know, my decisions and question where I was. But now I look back and I, I'm really happy with where I am in my life right now, uh, other than the fact that, you know, there is a, a shortage of cars <laughs> right now. And uh, yes. It's almost impossible to buy a new car. And I heard you mention buying a yes. car. Well, if you got to buy a new car, give yourself at least six to eight weeks because that's how long it takes to get a new car these days. And um, But I really enjoy doing what I'm doing. And, and it gave me a chance to, when I stepped away from the media industry after all those years, uh, to spend more time with my family. I spent 20 some odd years uh, seeing my family only for half a year. My son went from a baby to 21 years old, and I barely knew him because we didn't spend any time together. So, uh, And I was able to get back into music. I literally retired from music in 1993 and did not do any live performances for 25 years before I got back up on a stage. To me, music is such a passion for me, so I love the fact that I'm able to strap on my guitar and sing for people now because that's something I always wanted to do as well. And I got to live for over 20 years doing my dream job and very few people get a chance to do their dream job. I am so blessed and honored to have had that opportunity to do that. I have no regrets on anything and I'm just really glad I have those experiences. And that's why, you know, when you asked me to come on the, your show, I'm more than happy to. It's always nice to be able to, to sit and talk about sports and talk about anything with anybody uh, in this type of format. So thanks for the invite, Chris. No problem. Um, do you have like two more minutes? Sure, I've two, more, two more minutes. Two more. Okay. Does your band ever come to the Guelph, Kitchener, Waterloo area, or do you just stay in the Greater Toronto? No, area? we've we've actually played Kitchener and Waterloo. Um, we're actually uh, one of my bands, uh, my Cars tribute. We're playing in Cambridge on March the fourth, which isn't too far from that area. Actually, uh, I live in, in Guelph, place. ten minutes away. There you go. I'm going to put in a plug. It's called Rhythm and Brews. It's in Cambridge. Uh, we're playing with uh, a police tribute band. Uh, they're oh, playing great. the first set, and we're doing the second set. We're calling it the Police Cars Show. Wow! So, what time? Uh, what what time is it at? Uh, it starts at nine, and I think it goes till midnight. So get some people and come out and see us. It'd be nice to meet you in person. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, I'll have to get the information for you. What day is that? March fourth again. It's a Friday. Okay. Friday. Oh, okay. Um, you have hockey I, Friday nights, don't you? Yeah, but I, I maybe I'll maybe I'll see if I can uh, weasel out of this one and <laughs> uh, come see your band because it'd be nice to see live yeah. music again. It's been a while. Oh, I tell you. And once the summer hit, and we just found out that uh, as of now, the summer festival series is back on. So my uh, petty band, we've got a booking. Uh, this is out in the East End in East York at a, an outdoor festival at the end of March. So we're actually going to be playing outdoors March 26th or 27th. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, the groundhog uh, has ended winter by then and it's nice and mild. But uh, we'll be all over the place uh, playing festivals all summer long with uh, probably all three of my acts. Uh, my uh, petty band, We Ain't Petty, Driven, my tribute to the cars. And then the new uh, act that I put together during COVID, uh, which is uh, a Beatles duo tribute for myself and my podcast uh, co-host, Tom Forth. Uh, we play Beatles songs, uh, just the two of us. We've got uh, some backing tracks that we use on some, but it's just a fun night. When people come to see us, we have a whole video production going on behind us as well. So it's uh, 
it's a lot of fun. So now that it, it seems that they're finally going to be, you know, easing some of these restrictions, we can get back to, to making live music again. And I put your website on, on here too, for my audience as well. Oh, my website hasn't been updated in about five years. So I don't know if there's okay. anything on my website anymore, but if you want to go uh, to either my Facebook or Twitter pages, uh, I've got uh, Facebook pages for uh, all three of my bands and uh, Twitter, I think I've got a petty one, but you can follow me. And I see you keep scrolling it down the bottom there, which is great. So anything that's going on with the bands, I usually post on uh, on my Twitter pages. Okay. And uh, one last question I wanted to ask you. Um, what was your most memorable interview story you did? Um, most memorable um, interview you did with the Blue Jays? And who was, oh. the, who, who was the best Blue Jays player to interview in your time as the on-field reporter? All right, I've got to split this up in, in different categories, okay? First of all, the kindest, most genuine human being I ever had a chance to have a conversation with on camera was Devin Travis. No doubt about it, former Detroit Tiger draft pick. Um, mm -hmm. And just tremendous human being. The most insightful, intellectual interview I ever had was probably with Chris Colabello, but the most fun I ever had, and everyone knows this, was Muninori Kawasaki. Man, Muninori Kawasaki actually made me go uh, viral in Japan. There was like millions of views of these interviews I did with Muninori Kawasaki. Uh, him and Joe Biagini. The only thing I wish I could have done is had Kawasaki on one side and Biagini on the other and just have the two of them go at it. But they weren't teammates. It's unfortunate. But as soon as Kawasaki left, Biagini comes in. So there was always that entertainment aspect of it. And they were both so much fun to chat with. Wow. And um, when you did the games too, did you have a favorite American League ballpark and a National League ballpark? Oh, okay. National League, I'll, I'll tell you right away because that's the easy one. San Diego uh, is by far my favorite ballpark, uh, Petco Field and Petco Park, I think it is. And of course, uh, San Francisco uh, is gorgeous as well. For the American League, see, that's tough because, uh, you know, people always think Fenway is a wonderful ballpark, and it's got great history, but it's a complete dump. The sight lines are terrible. The camera bay is cramped. The press box is horrific. Uh, it's always Wrigley, by the way, and I, I grew up a Cubs fan. <laughs> so, But uh, American League ballparks, just as far as amenities and, and everything like that, I, I'm probably going to say Baltimore. I, I, I still think that Camden Yards is still one of the most beautiful ballparks I've been to. Uh, the thing is, everybody's making when you know before Camden Yards came around, everyone was doing the big stadiums like Rogers Center, right? And now yep. everybody's started once Camden Yards came, everybody started doing replicas of that. So so many ballparks look the same, but the backdrops are different, which makes it beautiful. I, I got to mention Pittsburgh too because that's just a oh, gorgeous backdrop. absolutely, absolutely. You know, there are so many ballparks. Uh, you know, it's easier to tell me tell you the ones that I don't like, and that's Oakland, probably where the White Sox play. Uh, I don't even know what they call that these days because they keep changing. Uh, guaranteed right field. There you go. It changes every couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the trop, you know. <laughs> uh, it's a, a great dump. view from the press box, but yeah. just a dump of a stadium. Dump. So uh, most of the other ones are really, really nice. I actually miss the old stadiums like Tiger Stadium, Exhibition Stadium I actually was fond of. Well, uh, Veteran Stadium in Philly I was fond of. i tell you what. People that are too young to have gone to games at Exhibition Stadium – cannot relate to those of us who did and yes you know the 
bench seats on the first baseline didn't have backs oh. and they could get cold and they can get Good. slimy, right? Yes, that breeze coming off Lake Ontario was brutal. Yeah. Yes, if you got seats in the bleachers, you could be so far away from center field that you're you're in a different time zone. But there was something magical about Exhibition Stadium, about going to Dominion and buying the $2 Junior Jays tickets, tickets, getting there early for batting practice and finding the best seat available, seeing uh, the rides going on during the CNE. Uh, I miss Exhibition Stadium. Yeah. I really I, miss it. Uh, I probably wouldn't say that if I actually had covered games working there. Yeah. But from a fan standpoint, really cool. Yeah, because my late my first ever game there was in '78 with my late dad, so I have memories of my dad taking me there. And same with me. And that's and I grew up, I grew up like I said a Tigers fan, but also I like the Jays, and it's just so many good memories there as well. Yeah. But I do like the new BMO field. Um, I'm gonna let you go, Barry. I'm just gonna one last thing, and that's uh, basically advice. Uh, any advice for those, not just myself, looking to pursue a career on radio, TV, or even start their own business, and um, where can my uh, again? Where can my uh, audience find you on social media and your band again? Okay, so advice-wise, be patient. Don't do this if you think that this is a way to get rich, because you know while podcasting is increasing, uh, there are there definitely is the possibility of, of earning money. There are so many people doing it right now, and even me, I ended up I haven't done a podcast in several months. I just wasn't getting enough views and listens to to really get any advertisers to want to get in on it. So do it for you. Do it to get the experience. Do it because you enjoy doing it. Don't put pressure on yourself to get views and listens and, and make money off it because that's just going to frustrate you. As far as uh, the mainstream media, well, it's it's a complete mess right now. And it's very hard to get in the door right now, especially if you're our age, right? Uh, nobody's interested in hiring 50 year old people to, to start in TV anymore. So, uh, do it because you love to do it. That's, that's the only advice I can get. And, you know, whether you're using top of the line equipment or using the equipment you can afford, do it for you and keep it interesting try to come up with something that no one else is doing, which again is a huge challenge because so many people are doing podcasts. So if you can kind of find a way of coming at it at a different angle, to give somebody something different, just this whole setup is really cool. I've never seen anything like it before, so I really like that. You know, and and one, oh, sorry, go ahead. So yeah, and, and as far as uh, social media, uh, Twitter at Barry Davis underscore. Uh, I'm on there less than I used to be because it's become a very toxic, judgmental place, and there's a lot of hate being spewed on uh, on uh, social media on Twitter. But I still pop on there once in a while. Uh, when I post, I'm usually posting something positive. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, trying to be empathetic in a judgmental world right now is not an easy thing to do. So uh, you can follow me there. I'm also on Facebook as well. And uh, you can look up the bands. We Ain't Petty, Driven, and Nowhere Men are the three bands. Okay, definitely. And when I say when I have each guest on, I try to put on a background for that guest. Like if somebody's on from Philadelphia, I put on something from Philadelphia. But also one thing, Barry, too, um, 80% of my podcast is sports. But now I'm branching out into comedians, actors, people awesome. from the news industry, trying to branch out a little more as well. Try to be more, be able to try to interview other people from other profess professions as well. And here's one last advice for you. And I always said this to whoever co-hosted with me. Don't ever think of what you're doing as an interview. Think of it as a conversation or a Station. chat. Okay. Right? 
conversation. That's, that's the best advice I can give because that's a lot more compelling, a lot more interesting for your listener or viewer than an interview. Hopefully Eric Smith watches this because Eric Smith has also uh, been a really good mentor for me online as well with what I'm trying to do. Well, Eric and I kind of came up in it together and he's actually one of the reasons why I stopped doing the Raptors because I was doing the Raptors pre and post game show and he came in as a rookie and right away I knew he's got something and he knows way more about basketball than I do. And as he became more established, I kind of stepped away more from the basketball and I'm so thrilled to know what he's doing right now. And he's he's just a, a really good person, too. Okay. I was going to say again, Barry, I kept you a little bit longer than I was supposed to. Oh. But I want to say thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, it was great talking to you, Barry. And hopefully I can keep in touch with you on social media and check out your band hopefully soon. Anytime, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Barry. Have a great day and weekend. You too. Okay. Take care. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed my podcast today with uh, Barry Davis. And uh, you can also check him out on Twitter at Barry Davis underscore or his band. Uh, we Ain't Pretty Band on Twitter as well. And uh, I really appreciate his time uh, coming on today. I just want to say thank you to everybody watching this live on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe if you haven't. Uh, thank you to everyone watching this on Facebook Live and Twitter. And also, guys, uh, just going to put this on here as well. And we'll just put this right here. Uh, Live with CDP podcast will be downloaded onto Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, and LinkedIn as well. And you guys can also check me out on TikTok at live with CDP there as well. And uh, before we go, I'm just going to let you guys know who my next guest is. Uh, my next live with CDP podcast is going to be this Tuesday, February 22nd at three o'clock. My guest is going to be Jack Michaels, the TV radio play-by-play -play announcer for the NHL's Edmonton Oilers on CHED 630 in Edmonton and on Sportsnet as well. So three o'clock Eastern on Tuesday, February 22nd as well. And uh, before I go, guys, I'm just going to show you a little clip of uh, Barry's work when he was with uh, uh, Sportsnet and covering the Toronto Blue Jays. And I'm here at Barry Davis from Sportsnet. How are you doing? Tremendous. You, you look amazing. Do. I am joined by Mutanori Kawasaki and Kawa. What are you feeling right now? I know you talked about a bush party, but right now we're having a champagne party. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Toronto. There's been a lot of speculation and talk over the last few days as to exactly what happened when a ball errantly left your hand and, and hit me in the leg. For many veterans, it's a case of make the team or seek. Oh, ah. Joe, I think you may have those on backwards, but they look good on you. Are they? Are they backwards? Yes. So they are you going to open up the champagne bottle? No, I'm just, I'm, I'm using it as a, as a microphone. I'm interviewing, I'm going around interviewing people. Dunedin typically is a little bit cooler in February. How's the weather been for the players early on in spring training? You see, I'm wearing a coat here this morning. And again, yesterday the nose was running. It's chilly. It's about seven degrees Celsius right now. It will warm up as the day goes on. But uh, yeah, the players have been talking about it too the last couple of days. You go down and, and that's those things. I can if, feel that. You right feel now. it right. right. Already after 
15 or 20 that we just did. Yeah, it was three, Barry. Yeah, but, uh, it's, close. it's one thing to be physically ready to pitch in the majors. It's another thing to be mentally ready. And that's what a lot of people have said when seeing you pitch is that it's one thing to have the stuff, but you've got the mind. Is that something that you've always seemed to have had growing up? Yeah, I mean, for me, I played I played up. You know, I played with guys two or three or four years older than me. So. What's it like as a pitcher when you go out there and you feel good going to the mound, but then once the game starts, you walk one or two guys, and all of a sudden it starts to get into your head maybe that I just can't get guys out. Are you at the point now in your life where you have to just take what any of the doubters say, whatever any fans that have turned against you say, and say, look, I'm sorry, but right now I just want to hear the positive things. Mentally, baseball hasn't always been an easy ride for Rasmus. His issues with Tony La Russa and the Cardinals are very well documented. But what many people don't realize is that many of the demons he dealt with in St. Louis carried over to his first couple of years with the Blue Jays. Being a father, however, gave him some new perspective. And in some ways, his young daughter may have saved his career. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. You could take the dumbest thing we ever did. Mm -hmm does not compare to uh, what these people have done. Somebody traded a drivable 2000 Volkswagen Golf for a packet of McDonald's Szechuan sauce. You understand that whoever made this sauce has the recipe for this sauce. Yes. Can make lots and lots and lots. They could very easily produce millions of packets of this stuff, put it out tomorrow, and then all of a sudden each one of those packets that were purchased before for big bucks are worth literally nothing unless they have the code on them saying yes. these were the original. This is ridiculous that, um, you know, I grew up in a home where my father traveled more than I did when I was a reporter really? and he also was an alcoholic. So my mother pretty much was living the life of a single mom who had to work a lot of hours. Yeah. And I was always known as, a hyper kid, a worrying kid, one of those types of things. And it wasn't until my adult life that all this started to come to the forefront. Yeah. Anyways, guys, that clip was courtesy of Barry Davis's YouTube channel as well. Again, I want to say thank you so much to Barry Davis for coming on and talking about his career with the Fan 590 in Toronto and uh, also with uh, Sports uh, Sportsnet as well. And now he's a, a sales consultant with uh, Georgetown Honda as well. So uh, one of my favorite guests, and I hope to have him back on my podcast in the future as well. And you can also check out his Facebook page, uh, NS Media canada slash com uh you can check that out as well and also guys just to let you know um the national basketball league of canada canada's oldest basketball league returns after a two-year absence with two games on family day february 21st monday february 21st the london lightning take on the kitchener titans at 2 p.m. and the Windsor Express uh, take on the Subway Five at two o'clock. So it's nice to see this, uh, Canada's oldest uh, pro basketball league, uh, their tenth year uh, back after a two-year absence. And uh, I'm looking forward to being a part of the uh, uh, NBL of Canada as hopefully as a, a media a media affiliate. Uh, as well i've been in touch with them and it looks like it's going to happen so uh hopefully you guys can follow the the league as well you can check the league out at www.com 
nblcanada.ca or just basically google nblcanada.ca and all the latest uh, of all the teams there and all their players and stuff and information about the league will be on that website as well so um yeah like i said they got two games this monday london at uh, kitchener waterloo titans and windsor express at Sudbury fives and i'm gonna hopefully bring on one of my guests uh, from the NBL Canada, uh, who's involved with the Windsor Express, uh, Aaron Sanders, in beginning of March. And we'll talk about the league starting up and how it's uh, for, been for him uh, to come back doing the Windsor Express games uh, as their play-by-play announcer on their um, audio games, or live online streaming games as well. And also, guys, before I wrap it up, I uh, just wanted to let you know the next Gulf Storm game is this tonight is uh friday night uh tonight against the um saginaw spirit 7 30 face off at the sleeman center if you can't go down to the game tonight it's 50 percent capacity you can tune in to rogers tv in guelph which i'll be doing camera work for or you can also uh listen to the game on radio on cjoy 14 60 with Larry Malott, who's the longtime uh, Guelph Storm announcer. He does a great job as well. So uh, anyways, guys, this is my fourth podcast this week. I just want to say thank you to all my guests that came on this week. And of course, Barry Davis as well. So I hope everybody has a great weekend. And uh, I look forward to my next Live with CDP podcast this Tuesday, February 22nd, again at 3 o'clock Eastern. Jack Michaels, the TV radio play-by-play announcer for the Edmonton Oilers, will come on and talk about his career and uh, the latest with the Edmonton Oilers, who are now playing very good hockey under Jay uh, Woodcroft, uh, uh, who took over for Dave Tippett, who was fired uh, recently as well. So. Anyways, I think that's pretty well it. But again, I want to say thank you to everybody that was watching my podcast uh, live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and again, on my audio platforms. And uh, that's about it. I I really hope everyone has a great weekend. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing some camera work tonight with Rogers TV for the Gulf Storm Saginaw Spirit game. So, all right. Um, Again, thanks to Barry Davis for coming on. Hope you all enjoyed my podcast. Please, if you have any um, uh, feedback, uh, leave me uh, messages on my Twitter page, Facebook page, or you guys can email me at cpalme19 at gmail.com. That's cpalme19 at gmail.com with any kind of feedback as well. So, all right, guys. Again, thanks for watching live with CDP Podcast or listening, and we'll see you guys this Tuesday at 3 with Jack Michaels.